This is Paul McGann, the eighth doctor. You're listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. Go and throw yourself under a bus. I didn't mean to say that. He told me to say that. This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 455 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where we've got one shot left to do this right, because this is the seventh take, and each time we start over, we have less and less time to avoid... Ah! I'm Kier. I'm Haley. I'm Jay. And I'm Julie. This week, we have the first of this year's two Doctor Who specials, the New Year's Eve story, Eve of the Daleks. A little comedy, a little action, a little suspense, and a little, but just a little, romance. The story kicks off... Rather quickly, as we realize that the storage unit uh, facility owner, Sarah, and her one offbeat customer, Nick, are trapped in a time loop, along with the TARDIS trio, uh, repeatedly being hunted by Daleks. The Daleks are seeking retribution for the Flux event that wiped out millions of their own and are using the incrementally tightening loop to hunt down all five of our characters with ruthless efficiency. So the the harrowing situation leads to a a lot of quick strategizing and running running through dimly lit corridors. Uh, but it, it also makes for some heartfelt confessions and emotional realizations when faced with impending doom. Chris Chibnall is giving us one of his final stories as showrunner and nearly exclusive series writer. And though this feels very much like a New Year's holiday special, it's also full of Easter eggs and dare say a Christmas present or two for us fans. Can you get your mum to call at exactly 10 seconds to midnight? Absolutely not. She's not doing that. Not even if her daughter's life depended on it. If our lives depend on my mother ringing me at a time I actually ask her to, honestly, we're all dead. I'll try. I'll try. Right off the cuff, it's really worth, it's something we don't normally do on on a a fresh watch episode, but I do have to get everyone's opinion on this because this is one where people spoke very, very quickly about their their hot takes the moment the credits rolled. Mm -hmm. So how did we feel about Eve of the Daleks right off the top? I absolutely loved this one. I thought it was so much fun. It was everything I wanted it to be. I just, absolutely fantastic. I also really, really liked this one. I I actually delayed watching it because I wasn't expecting to like it after the event um, and really, really enjoyed it. I think when you start off with a comedian, you're going to get some good humor and it won. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot and I feel like there was a lot of, I mean, kind of as I mentioned, there were some serious moments and some of that romantic twist. But mostly the comedy and all the beats hit very well. Hmm. This is uh, 
we've seen in in many instances there have been holiday episodes that have um your your guest stars right these are where you get your your a little bit better line of supporting actors because they've come in to do a little bottle thing that's going to be fun over most other aspects right and aisling b jumping in uh, as sarah here you know you've got the comedic chops you think back to when we had uh, nick frost playing santa and episodes mm. like that where uh, or Hydra Flax for Husbands of River Song. Those times where you get an opportunity to bring in a guest that really uh, adds a lot of that comedic punch, you're on pretty good footing. But as a story, especially coming off of all of the 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 one-two punches that the Flux series received from fans and critics alike about being really crushed storylines and and a lot of uh, scattered information dumps and and so forth, this had it's time to be exactly what it needed to be. Um, you know, as Julie mentioned, it's it's romantic, but it's thrilling. It's got the sci-fi, um, well, rather well-known sci-fi elements to it, but some interesting takes on that. And and, and it just, it, it works on a lot of levels, but it doesn't completely ignore, which is something we wanted to know about it, the, the flux repercussions. It didn't come anywhere near trying to resolve them. <laughs> no. But it did at least check them a little bit insofar as fixing the TARDIS. Yeah, it I acknowledged that flux happened and yeah. it, there's yeah. still consequences well, from that. And two points. Fixing the TARDIS and the Daleks being upset about what just happened to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So there were two moments when I went, oh. Right. But yeah. it doesn't it doesn't get bogged down enough to say, all right, well, we're gonna devote huge swaths of the of the story to this because this is this is a holiday special, kids. Mm. Keep it keep it peppy and cheap. And that that was the thing like the one thing that that stuck in my that I didn't like about it was that they did just kind of sweep the whole flux event under the rug. It's just, oh, we're just gonna reset the TARDIS, everything will be fine. You know, and you get the one reference from the the Daleks, and I wanted a little bit more going into it, but seeing as what we got because they were able to just kind of brush it under the rug, I'm okay with it. Well, and you can kind of get away with it with this story since Mm. the entirety of the action of this actually takes place across like nine minutes of Mm. in-universe time. So Mm. it's okay to not have to deal with a lot of flux repercussions. And it's all in one warehouse. (laughs) We may see a little bit more flux repercussions in future episodes, too. So it Mm -hmm. it doesn't close the door on any of that Mm -hmm. because it was so contained. Right. We don't really know how much time has transpired since, you know, everything crashed down at the the close of uh, The Vanquishers. Um, They did know that, obviously, there there were issues with the the physical status and the operational status of the TARDIS, which is where they are at the close of that. So maybe that's the first thing on their checklist is, okay, fix TARDIS, step one. I I think this kind of has to be the first thing they did post-flux, because it's not like you can go wheeling around the universe in the TARDIS if it's not working correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So would we then say, though, that this is potentially one of the best, (laughs) at least in in the most recent memory, one of the best stories we've gotten? From Chris Chibnall? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that the last time they saw a story that really that they really loved the way all the little pieces worked in the right balance was uh, Villa Diodati in terms of the using the villains effectively as far as, you know, you had the the, the lone Cyberman thing and, and, mm-hmm. and all those aspects and having supporting characters that were just as interesting and well integrated into the story as our primary 
uh, TARDIS team and that kind of thing. I, so I, I can't remember whether Diodati – no, Diodati wasn't exclusively his. That was um, – oh, shoot. He had a co-writer on that one. I don't recall. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I did appreciate how he used the Daleks in this one. And it was – it was done in such a way that the the Daleks were were an imposing villain. It's like okay, well they're one. I mean, when you kill everybody off, it kind of sets the tone of like, oh yeah, no, they're they're a threat. Uh, but it was it was done well in the way that it was okay. We're dealing with a single Dalek, and it's it's a problem. But we were we, you know we have a chance, and okay, we figured it out, and now there's a second Dalek. Mm-hmm. And just when you think you have the upper hand, they introduce another one. And so it, it was a nice way of kind of building that tension without it being insurmountable or you know just hokey. And the realization that they were cognizant of the mm-hmm. situation they were into and were using that as part of their strategizing was a was a cool added stressor. Yeah, to the conflict. Well, and. The, and and they did it in such a way that it wasn't uh, – you You didn't stop and say, well, where did this one come from? Because it's like you realize the whole time, oh, it's it's been multiple Daleks the whole time. It just – I thought that it was one at first. And now, yeah, so it, it worked. Having each iteration of them be sort of uh, stood up to. So we had the moment where the sonic screwdriver failed. That mm-hmm. was – a key plot point. And then also where you see Nick doing his duck maneuver, which is very strategic and planned and battle Mm -hmm. readiness. That also kind of, you got wins for each side, right? So even if you're cheering for the Daleks, which was kind of an interesting thing to see them have happen, but you, you got a little bit where they're like, Oh, they found them. Ah, (laughs) and then we got one up to them and, and back and forth. So I thought that was, a really clever way to handle the Dalek interactions with everyone and let them win, but also have the group differently stand up to them. So it wasn't just the same old can't go upstairs, can't <laughs> do X, Y, Z, which is a normal thing for Daleks not to be able to do. You know, this might be my favorite use of the Daleks in Modern Who. Like, I think it made them a very formidable villain and not just like the hokey trash bins rolling around. I mean, I... D- Giving them a Gatling gun is definitely a way to ratchet up the the tension. <laughs> That's true. I still, though, uh, I, I agree with, I think, uh, um, chatting kind of briefly with uh, Graham Berg from over at Reality Bomb about this, and he was saying that he kind of really appreciated the uh, the scout Dalek in Revolution a little better, mm-hmm. just because it was a matter of not necessarily the sort of the A-team assembly of, you know, building it out of a box of scraps or any of those things, mm-hmm. but just the idea of, okay, now it's the Dalek out of the casing that has to be at just as formidable and just as outright creepy, mm-hmm. um, and then gets the weaponry and proceeds apace. Um, so, Kira, you mentioned earlier the sci-fi elements in this story, and time loops are an increasingly common one in sci-fi. Uh, but we've also got a shrinking loop caused by a TARDIS reset with Daleks caught in the perimeter. Is this a fresh, rough take to make the literal Groundhog Day trope entertaining? Well, okay. Having the villain inside the loop and being cognizant of the loop, as we were just saying, is definitely something I've never seen worked before. Um, or the idea of you know, uh, it's not it's not just the fact that you die and start over again, but just the fact that the that everyone is aware of what happened in the previous loop, including the one who took you out, is a is a is definitely a new take. Yeah, 
I, I was going to say when I first watched this, the the first thing I thought was Agents of Shield because they did the the shrinking time loop before, and it and they did it to great effect. I really enjoyed it on that one, but you only had two characters that were aware of it. Where in this one, everyone's aware of it. Everyone is learning from the last loop, and it definitely gave it a a much more interesting spin. Hmm. It made me think super classic Tom and Jerry. <laughs> so you've got the over and over, we're training someone to do something and then switching it at the last second. And right. we're we're going to do this thing so we can gather all of our pieces and then play out all our cards at the end. Mm-hmm. And I just really appreciate that from, it felt nostalgic in a way, but mm. also very modern because it is them, the timing of it and the Daleks transporting into their specific moments and different places and catching again kind of that the looping of everybody gets a win Mm -hmm. Hmm. the sacrificial penultimate loop Mm. i think was the was the really cool maneuver because that's where it really started getting into the idea okay well they're clearly they're 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 just as clever about this retrospectively as we were you know trying to execute in the last iteration so let's throw them the perfect red herring and, and buy ourselves the time necessary to do this thing in the final seconds. I'm still looking through the script to try and figure out exactly where the description was that said that they had to get it done by midnight. I'm still not seeing precisely where that was said. They just said in the final minutes before midnight. Like, uh, I think the Dalek told them that there was a time limit. Did they? I'll yeah. have to... Or maybe it was like doing the the math and like it was all leading up to men. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, you accept it in the moment. Mm. You're so, okay, yeah, sure, sure. Turmoil. Got but, it. All right. Yeah. How did they figure that out? Because the doctor flat out told us that, you know, we're coming in a minute later each time. But yeah, you're right. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it, but I don't remember them saying this is how we know when the end of the loop is. <laughs> it's like, all right, everybody, we're going to solve this by like 1207. The next mm-hmm. day, it'll be fine. We actually have 15 minutes left. It's all good. <laughs> Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd, one thing I will say is these the characters in this one were so fantastic, especially the the guest stars. You had Aisling B was absolutely the standout as Sarah. I mean, she I could have watched a whole episode just of her. She was fantastic. But yeah, you also had you also had Nick, who where do we feel he sat on the adorable and cute versus creepy stalkerish scale? Hmm. Right in the middle. Creepy cute. <laughs> Creepy cute. I've seen just as many people who very, very succinctly argue that it doesn't really matter what the intentions were or or how it was executed. What he was doing is a huge stalker trigger um, and really needed to have a little bit more work done to move him away from being outright um, concerning. Uh, For me, I feel that the pairing of him having a storage locker full of old girlfriend stuff and that being the reason why he's there paired with the I'm stalking who I would hope to someday be able to speak to actually made it that much worse. If it was just a, Hey, I happen to come every year because I, you know, I do Mm. actually have a reason to be here. Mm -hmm. That would have made it feel a little bit less creepy stalker to me but the fact that it was all of those items and i Mm -hmm. appreciated what that meant for the engagement when they were in his locker and that Mm -hmm. the daleks blowing it up was another point of comedy him saying oh immediate exterminate (laughs) Exterminate." however (laughs) 
that kind that alone and they tried to play it cool by saying uh they're all alive right but no seriously that was the first thing that i thought when he brought the monopoly box in there and put a label on it i was like oh he's a murderer he's murdered all of these people yeah it's a name with dates on it what kind of psycho is cataloging mementos Mm -hmm. yeah like you could have had it to where he just he was collecting random junk just as an excuse to go there and that right. that still would have been kind of creepy, but at least it would have been a, a good step away from just absolute stalker. There, there was also so much stuff there that it's it went like, back yeah. years. There was a mm. thirteen to fourteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I what I what I think I personally would have been able to process with no repercussions whatsoever is if I just recognized that he was a little eccentric, maybe because of some of his um, uh, social communication awkwardness and things like that. Maybe he's on the spectrum. Maybe Mm -hmm. he's really, really high functioning and that kind of thing. But I thought, okay, maybe he's just obsessive compulsive and he's a bit of a hoarder, but he's a really, really organized hoarder, sort of eccentric in so far as he likes to, he likes to, he doesn't want to throw anything away, but he's got so much, such a small flat and everything that he goes and he gets a storage unit and he's a really, really organized hoarder. And that would have been his eccentricity. Mm-hmm. But you have the opportunity to return those items <laughs> to people. There were shoes. Right. There no, 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 were no. I, other I was saying, stuff. Right, that- my point was take out, have it not have the whole uh, ex-girlfriend thing and just be his stuff. Yeah. Or, or even say like my friends leave stuff at my place and if they don't come and get it within a week, I move it here. Like yeah. anything right. to make it less creepy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would have been just enough to move that needle away and say, all right, he's just, he's a lovable yeah. weirdo. But then you could have the, still had like the whole post-it system to like have everybody be like, what are you doing? And he could then say, instead of ex-girlfriends, it's like, oh, my, my mates leave this kind of stuff mm-hmm. lying around my place. Yes. I'm and very, any very range of stuff can make that be true, right? Like I want to make sure when so-and-so comes back, be like, well, I haven't talked to you since three years ago in two months. Here's <laughs> your stuff right here. That feels better. And I agree. <laughs> The the thing that I thought when I first tried to rationalize it so it wasn't so terrible was like he's probably some, you know, some tech magnate or something that like he's stupid rich. And so he draws all of these women to him <laughs> and it's he keeps them as a lesson of like what not to look for because he's trying to find love. And these are the like he's like, well, that didn't work because of this, that or that. And that was what I was originally hoping it was going to be. And mm-hmm. yeah, no, that fell apart (laughs) he secretly just there was a murder plot in there and they were like ah it's a bit too far yeah yeah right (laughs) but that that made the last little line about uh about uh sarah's joke about uh, flirting with my mom at the end like oh no he's secretly horrible he's gonna go after the mom too (laughs) but then he's also gaslighting because he's like oh i like to think of it as our meet cute (laughs) nah dude you creepy and you planned it the whole time all right. Uh, the actor has also said that he's more than happy to bring the character back uh, on future episodes and has even pitched the idea about how to make it happen. Ah! <laughs> he's pressed up against the glass and card of, let me back in. <laughs> well, Haley, yeah. it looks like the Dan Genda this week flips him from being the Thasmin obstacle to the Thasmin matchmaker. Huge part of the fan base is happy to see this acknowledged as canon, and some are upset that Dr. Romance is being put back into the story. What do we think? I'm Team Thasmin. Ditto. <laughs> um, 
the listeners may or may not be aware of a term called queer baiting. And it happens like Supernatural is the latest big one that I can remember doing it where the fans start seeing something between the characters and they'll tease it more and more as the show goes, but never acknowledge it. Um, And I was glad to see that that is not what happened here. At least acknowledging it is a step in the right direction. Yeah, there. I spoke to a couple coworkers who were like, "I, it, I didn't like the fact that you know they just threw in this love interest out of nowhere." And I was like, they, "Did you not watch I mean, the last building, like two years of the show?" Well, that's the thing. I was like, they were building up to it all through the flux, and then I was like, "But they never expressed it." like verbally acknowledged it or anything like that. So I can see if somebody is not watching for that kind of thing, they may have missed it in, in everything. So it, I can kind of understand where they're coming from, but they actually did go and acknowledge it. So this is now a part of the story. Yeah, and they acknowledged it in such a way that it actually does say no. And credit to Dan. Dan O comes through in the end on this one because he's saying, you know, for four years, mm-hmm. I watched her pine for you in your absence I, this is as plain as day and, and i'm just gonna stand back here over your two shoulders and smirk <laughs> because you, you two are being complete knobs about this would you just please acknowledge mm-hmm. this to one another and oh and i like that he calls the doctor out too on pretending oh, like she sure. doesn't get it and he's like yeah. you understand what's going on here mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. It, if there were no other agenda for Dan, this c- would be a solid reason to have had him in the entire six episodes we had prior, because mm-hmm. it gets the relationship between he and Yaz solidified as BFFs, and mm-hmm. they recognize that in here a couple of times, but to also let him be the one to talk to both of them, because those relationships can be hard, and if they're both being kind of not acknowledging it then someone needs to call them out otherwise it's just going to be that way mm-hmm. i i've got to say though that like, going into this series i was not sure what to make of dan i was prepared to not like him i was trying to withhold judgment but there was that that thing in the back of my head that was like i just i i don't think i'm gonna like this guy and I absolutely love Dan. Uh, the The chemistry between him and Yaz is fantastic. Like you can actually believe that they did travel together for four years. There is that camaraderie there. It is so believable. And him facing down the Dalek was just, I mean, one, it was funny. I mean, it was, it was hokey, but it was funny as hell. But the, the fact that he was like ready to just be like, no, like, I'm going to go and sacrifice myself. Hopefully I get another chance at this. We'll see what happens. But you knew that like, he was aware that he, there was a chance he wasn't coming back from this and still did it. And then, you know, after the fact, he's like, no, it's okay. Don't thank me. You know, it's just to the end, just funny. It was great. The slowly spinning around the Dalek while it's trying to shoot him, <laughs> stalling tactic is one of the funniest, but yet most genuine things we've seen from a oh, companion yeah. facing down a villain in a long time. I I wish he had kept doing it and then like tripped because he got dizzy or something instead of just stopping. (laughs) I will also say one of my favorite lines upon multiple watches is, who you call an inferior? And the Dalek says, you. (laughs) (laughs) And then without missing a beat, Yaz says, pretty smart these Daleks, eh? Kind of looking at him like, yeah. (laughs) Their relationship has gotten to the point, Jay, as you're speaking about like the the four years getting to know someone through everything that they'd 
that they that they'd gone through and had tried to to pull one another through. A lot of it comes down to the fact that like their stupid nicknames for each other mm-hmm. have probably gone all the way around the <laughs> curve from being like I first started calling her Sheffield because it would get a rise out of her, and then I did it because I thought it was genuinely funny, and then I did it because it became a term of endearment. And then it came all the way around again to saying something where I don't even remember her name anymore. <laughs> yeah. And she's just Sheffield. Mm-hmm. And, and her reactions to it are exactly the same. It is a warm comfort, even in stressful situations, the fact that he yells out, you know, here, Sheffield, catch this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that's real, though. That's why it feels so normal. But because getting- that happens in real life, and that's how people have nicknames for each other and that's how you become best friends is that Mm -hmm. no one else understands this unless they've literally watched you on screen Mm -hmm. building up to it or have been there with you but we're moving away from the important point here (laughs) we have two stories left are we going to get a snog or even anything close to a um ten and rose i burned up a universe just to say (laughs) you know that kind of thing are we going to get that close? I think we're going to get the way Tin and Rose parted the first time, and it, I'm going to rage. We'll, we'll have a whole separate episode of me raging before we discuss that episode. Um, but th- I kind of think that's where we're headed. Like, right as it's about to be acknowledged, something will separate them. Because it, it brings up a bigger question. Does does the story uh, – well, does the story warrant it? Um, does the show uh, benefit from it? Not necessarily just the, the fan base. I'm saying the the show in terms of what you're doing with the with the program, where you've been, you know, moving these these pieces around, where you're putting these characters. Does it make sense? Is it warranted? Is it beneficial? And is it good? Or is it better to just say it's it's there? They won't talk about it because their lives are insane, and it's just it's they're just going to be it, it's never going to connect. The the way that it was brought into this episode, it has to be dealt with, otherwise. You, why bring there, it up? Why bring it up? Mm-hmm. And you're missing a beat that is important, which is relationships between your characters who are traveling together and who mean something to each other. So you lose the weight of all of that. I pass that. I, I don't know how to properly handle it, but I think the doctor has been romantic with other characters before. Why not let it be someone who they've actually spent time with mm-hmm. and have grown to a respectful relationship with because that's how adult relationships go i would absolutely vote for this hands down if it weren't for the fact that we had only two more stories if we had another series coming then yes absolutely like let's explore a relationship between these two characters for the entire series you know let let that simmer in the background while they're running from cybermen or something you know is but because we only have two stories I don't think that it is – I don't want to say I don't think it's worth it, but I don't think that you can do justice to what a relationship like that would be like in if you're still trying to tell compelling stories because it's just going to get you know, pigeonholed. You can. But, Dating montage. Yeah. Done. You, you <laughs> can. what happens. You can. <laughs> I don't think that it would. Right. Unless that's him just taking the easy way out and saying, okay – I'm going to let this relationship happen right at the end and mm-hmm. just say, oh, tragedy strikes. Isn't that a pity? <laughs> I, but I, I think... broached it. Look what <laughs> I did for you. I personally would like a more of a – I want to have that conversation where the doctor's like, no, I, I do have these feelings for you. 
but I have history. I have, you know, I, I had a wife. I had Rose who I love. Like, let's acknowledge the relationships that came before and how that shapes the doctor being like, I can't do that again right now. And like maybe maybe acknowledge like, you know, you've got this much life left and I've got this much life left. And what do you want that mm-hmm. life to look like? Like maybe actually discuss what a relationship with the doctor really would be. And is that really what you want? Again, that's yeah. how adult relationships <laughs> should go. And so yeah. I would respect that as a choice. So then the question becomes, does Chris Chibnall actually know how relationships work? And can he <laughs> convey that in a script? And can that script get past editors and other producers and onto screen? Yeah. <sighs> but seriously, uh. dating montage and just <laughs> – so many places. I, I think this might, from a be, this might be more in Chibnall's wheelhouse than the whole idea for Flex was. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we will find out within this next calendar year, because we, we do have the, the two stories left, um, with this cast, with this crew, let's take a look at what that looks like going into it. That means, uh, as just about everybody, well, sorry, BBC America viewers, (laughs) you did not see this at the end of your episode. Uh, but we got 15 seconds of what our spring 22, spring 22, that's not too bad of a wait. No. I mean, spring technically, I guess that could still be as late as May, but I'm seeing it more around maybe Easter. Yeah, probably Easter. Um, well, to be our, our next our next special with the sea devils. May is the summer. So yeah, earlier than May, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So just to kind of recap everybody, this is something – we have not seen since John Pertwee's Third Doctor era. Coming up, literally coming up out of the water. <laughs> Six dudes in scuba suits. I was like, hey, I understood that monster. <laughs> I know that guy. I understand that reference. <laughs> and it looks so good, too, because they're they're being true to the design from the the, the 60s or 70s, whenever it was. But it, it like they're using today's technology, so the face actually moves and things like that. Right. So I was so excited to see this. And what's more interesting, this is going to be a historical piece. This is set in 19th century China. Mm-hmm. And so you got a Southeast Asian uh, storyline with an uh, um, uh, Asian cast and director. So you know this is, this is hopefully going to be done re- you know, with, with proper credibility and respectability. Mm-hmm. So really pleased yeah, to see definitely that. Definitely step in the right direction. Now, how this fits into post-flux disaster? <laughs> I, I almost got you to the beach. Uh, there's water? <laughs> this, this, this is going to be their last two episodes, them just looking for the resort. They're just trying right. to get to the damn you know, beaches or wherever they were staying. Next week, we're going to be coming back with our classic rewatch of the, the modern undead. Oh, oh, yeah. This is this is like a gem of the Fifth Doctor era. We will have a guest in studio. Uh, our friend Don Cleese is going to be coming back to join us because he reached out to me years ago, <laughs> like years ago. And said, so based on your calendar, how long is it going to take before you get to, to modern undead? And I'm looking at this, I'm like, we were somewhere in early Tom <laughs> Baker at this point. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. Dude. It's going to be a it's minute. It's going to be a minute. <laughs> he's uh, so here the, we are. He's playing the long game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Waited really. patiently. 
So here we go. January of 2022. His time has come. We weren't even all sure we were going to make it this far. So <laughs> right? yeah, technically Good this on was you. all just yeah. This was <laughs> Julie wasn't pencil. even on the cast when he asked to be on. <laughs> no. This is also true. Yeah. So, yeah, this is going to be exciting. I, I'm looking forward to this one. Such a good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much Brigadier. And Turlo. Heckin' <laughs> Turlo. That already goes for somebody. You can't. Oh, Can no. you? You no, can? There's All right. more than more than one mm-hmm. character in uh, in fandom can get, get the Heckin' moniker. <laughs> moniker. Oof. This one's it's well earned. It's a badge earned. they earn. <laughs> it's a badge of dishonor. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. All right, well. Well, this has been episode 455 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, where's the beach? (laughs) And this is Gary saying, who eats beans and thinks these could just do with being a bit beefy? (laughs) This is Julie saying, super props to Dan for the Groundhog Day reference. (laughs) Uh, And this is Haley saying, this was just a decoy podcast. We're going to do the real one on the next loop. I am not Haley. <laughs> we'll see you next week. I will see. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Copyright 2022. See you next week.